Welcome. We are glad that you are here this morning. If you are new, if you are a guest, welcome. Just want to let you know a little thing. Uh, if you have seen inside your bulletin, there is a little insert in there. On the front page, we have a sermon outline that you can follow along as we go through the message this morning. It has some of our main points, some of our scriptures, as well as a place for you to write any notes. On the flip side of that page is what we got something called an MPG, which is basically Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. And when we think about MPG, miles per gallon, it's about how far you can go down the road on a tank of gas. How far you can go down the road in your vehicle. Well, here at Mac, we believe that the Word of God is so powerful. It is so important. It is so central to the way to be successful here on earth as humans that we like to view the Word of God as the same way. So MPG stands for Memorize. We're going to uh, invite you to be a part of this through a scripture to memorize as it pertains to the message this morning. And then there is a prayer that we also invite you to pray with us this week or help you pray this week as it pertains to the message. And then lastly, glorify. And this is something practical to think about or to do this week in your life as it also has to do with the message this morning. So this morning, I want to start off by telling you a little bit about myself. My name is Jonathan Juarez, and I'm one of the youth minister. I'm one of the ministers here at Mac, and I grew up in a small town north of Dallas called Salina. And Salina is known for its high school football team, winner of eight state championships and countless state records. And when I was in seventh grade, I got to be a part of this prestigious tradition of being a football player for the Salina Bobcats, and it was awesome. So I got I to gotta be real with you guys here. Though this may look like a picture of a middle schooler playing football, it is actually not. It is actually a picture of my senior year of high school. And so I just wanted to come clean with that, okay? <laughs> now, the reason I want to talk about this is because when I was in seventh grade, I got to be a part of this great outstanding tradition, and it was my first year playing football. And so without much expectation, I was on the B team. It's fair, it's my first year playing. It's not that big of a deal. But that spring and summer, going into my eighth grade, I was determined to make the A team in eighth grade. I was super excited. I was going to be stronger. I was going to get faster. I was going to become more of a student of the game. And my hope was that in the fall, that I would be one of the top players, that I would be on the A team. And so when the fall came, I was ready, and I was super confident that in all my training, I was going to be able to be on the A-team. When practice came, I would insert myself with a lot of what I thought were the top players, because I believed that is where I belonged, with the top, with the very best. And then when time came for the coaches to reveal their rosters, I was confident that I was going to be one of the top players named. Name after name came by, my name was never called. You can believe me when I say that I was crushed, felt defeated. All the hard work that I had put in in the spring and summer to get to this point, only to be rejected. It was hard. And for me, it crushed everything that I had worked for. And I began to get angry. I began to feel upset. And I, what I loved was my friends 
They kind of helped me. They kind of surrounded me in this. It was awesome. They were like, well, you know what? Coaches don't know what they're talking about because you're way better than that one guy, you know? <laughs> Have we ever been there? <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? I think I am better than that one guy. And so I had this mentality of like, you, you know what? Yeah, they missed out on this because I had something to offer the team, and the coaches were completely off by leaving me off. And though they meant well, though my friends meant well, it really did not make me feel any better. If anything, it made me envious or angry of the other players I compared myself to. In my work with teenagers, they have shared moments with me where they have shared this same heartache. And I'm sure many of you can think of a time where you too felt this feeling of rejection, whether it's not being invited to a party that it just seems like everybody on Facebook is on. You're like, how did I not get that invite? Or maybe it's somebody getting picked over a promotion over you. Or maybe for you parents, it's your kids going to your spouse rather than you for any help, right? Maybe it's that. That feeling of rejection And I think we can all resonate with this feeling of rejection of what we have to offer. And I would love to imagine that we live in a world where rejection doesn't happen, that we could live in a world like that. That could be a possibility for us. That the feeling that comes with that rejection isn't there, but the reality is is this, that we live in a world where it matters what you have to offer. We live in a world where it matters how much money you make what your talents are, what you bring to the table, what you offer, how likable you are, what your family name is, those things matter in our world. And I think we can all agree about how draining and exhausting that can be from time to time. I mean, it just completely exhausts me, drains me just even thinking about it. But I think we find hope in Jesus, and I think this hope comes from what Jesus says here in 14 verse 27. He says, He says this, okay? Peace I leave you with, peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'll read that again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think one of the best ways that Jesus illustrates this message is through a parable that we find in Luke chapter 14. And that's where we'll spend most of the time this morning. In this chapter, Jesus shares a few different stories and teachings all surrounding position. And he uses this all through the lens of the kingdom of God. The chapter starts off with Jesus invited to and welcomed to eat with some prominent Pharisees. And a Pharisee is just a religious leader of that time. And it's really interesting because at this table where he's eating with these other Pharisees, he notices something. So he then goes on to give a message to the other guests that are there at the meal with him. This this message that Jesus gives is that we find in Luke 14. 14 verse 7 says this, When he noticed how the guests pick the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He continues on with this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Ouch. (laughs) 
wow, Jesus really hits us there. And he goes on and says this, okay? If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Ouch. I mean, Jesus isn't holding back any punches here at this dinner table. He just says, hey, boom. <laughs> if you do this, you're going to get humiliated. But don't worry, he goes on to continues, and there's, there's a reason for this. There's a reason why he says this, okay? In verse 10 through 11, he says this, but when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love that. That's great. Jesus hits us with a dose of humility at the first part, but then follows it with why it's important for us to take this place. So that instead of receiving humiliation, we have the opportunity to receive honor. And I don't know about you guys, but I would much rather sit at the lowest seat. I would much rather be the last person in line. I would much rather sit with the kids at the kid table than to be humiliated amongst my peers and amongst my guests, right? I think that's a pretty easy choice. But we have to be careful with this text. We have to be careful with how we interpret what Jesus is saying here. I believe what Jesus is offering here is not advice on how to avoid humiliation and to gain honor, but what he is offering here is a change in mindset when it comes to our approach to positions, when it comes to our approach to the table. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As followers of Jesus, we are called to a life of sacrifice and service, and that can be done by this renewal of our mind, this change of mindset that Jesus is inviting to. Through a change in mindset, if we, all we get from this teaching of Jesus, from this story of Jesus, is advice of how to avoid humiliation and to gain, humi or to gain honor, then we've completely missed the point of what Jesus is teaching right here. I think that Jesus' message to guests is this, that the position we take at the table reveals our heart. That the position that we take at the table reveals our heart. The approach we take to the table reveals our heart. If our position or approach to the table is about moving up, if it's about exaltation, and it's not about service or sacrifice, then we have completely missed the point in what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Jesus then goes on, continuing his teaching, but this time, it's not a message to the guests, but it's a message to the hosts. And he uses a different parable for this. Luke 14, 18-20 says this, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Continues with this in the next. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Think that makes sense? Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I think if I bought that much oxen, I think that would make sense. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I'm really excited to use this one. I want you to know that, okay? All of this makes sense to me. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly and into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This is really important, okay? Because what I want us to know here is this, is, is that when Jesus is talking about this, when he gives this message about preparing this, bank, this banquet, what I find really important is that it's just this idea of, of planning something. I mean, you, let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever planned something prepared something, an event, done something, and you get really excited about it because you're about to show it to your friends, you're about to invite all your friends over, and then the texts start coming in, the calls start coming in, the emails start coming in. It's like, I can't make it. I'm sorry, I have something else going on. And if you're anything like me, this is your response. It's fine. I'm, no, it's okay. Do not worry about it you know what, we can move some things around, we can reschedule, don't worry, we will make this happen. It's totally fine. But on the inside, it's not fine. On the inside, you start to plot your revenge of how you can get your friends back and miss their next event. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not true. Maybe it is. This is what I love about this parable, is because this is not the host's response or reaction whatsoever. It's not his mindset. People are missing his party. His friends are missing his party. And what does he do? He's just like, all right, we're going to keep going. Super interesting. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. All his friends can't make his party. And you know what? It just doesn't matter. He's going to keep the party going because he knows what he has to offer is way better than anything else that is being offered. So why would he let that go to waste? He's going to invite whoever. I'll invite whoever. Why? Because your position does not change what is offered at the table. Your position just doesn't, it doesn't change. It does not change what is offered at the table. And if there's, church, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I could just leave you with, especially if you're, if you're new here, if you're just trying out this whole Jesus thing, if you're still kind of trying to figure out if this is for you or not, this is the one thing that I really want you to leave with, is that your position does not change what is offered at the table. It does not matter if you're rich or poor. It does not matter if you're good enough. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter about your past. It does not matter how many times you've made it to church. It doesn't matter how many times you've missed church. Your position does not change what is offered at the table just doesn't. 
and so great. Because the party does not stop because you walk in. If anything, the party continues because you have walked in. And I think that's beautiful. In other words, when God is the host, our position does not change what is being offered at his table, which is love, mercy, compassion, and grace. And it is far better than anything. It is far better than anything that we can ever imagine. And it's far better than anything that we can offer or is offered to us in this world. And he knows it. He knows it. And that's why he invites anybody that is willing to accept that invitation. I think often as Christians, we're still trying to earn our position at the table, right? I think a lot of times we feel like we have to earn this position at this table that God has freely given an invitation to. And when we feel this way, I don't know about you, but when I feel this way, that I still have to earn the position or my position at the table, then my expectation of others that are being invited to the table is that they also have to earn it. And to that thought, I think Jesus offers this. Jesus closes out this parable with what I think is a message to servants. Luke 14, 22 says this, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. I, I love this part. But there is still room. I love this part. This is my favorite part about this whole parable because of the servant's response. The master gives an order, says, hey, go and invite the crippled, the lame. But what is really cool about this, about this response of the servant, is that he does what the master has asked him to do, and he says there's still more room. Why? Because he knows the goodness of what is offered at the table. He knows it. And so why would he want anybody else to miss out on? Because he knows the abundance of the mercy, the love, and grace that God offers at the table, and that should be our same mindset of the servant. It goes on to say this, And the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think through the years for me, when I read this passage, I've equated the friends that have been invited that missed out on this banquet as, as those who do not know God yet. But as I read it now, that thought doesn't really, it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't resonate for me. It doesn't really make sense anymore. Because they were friends of the host. They knew the host, and the host knew them. So if there's anybody that knows of the abundance of what is being offered, it should be the friends at the table, or that have been invited to the table. Yet, even in knowing what is being offered, they chose to miss out on this banquet. Because they felt what they had right in front of them at that very moment things that had to do with their position, what they were, whether it was a farmer, whether it was a husband, whatever, was more, far more important than what was being offered at their friend's banquet. 
let me ask you a question. Do you ever get so caught up in maintaining or elevating your status that you completely miss out on what's being offered in the kingdom of God? Is it possible to know God and still miss out on what he has to offer? I think Jesus' message to his followers is this, that most often our position is not of the host, but of the servant. Most often than not, I would rather be the host than the servant, right? Why? Because it gives me control of what is being offered. It gives me control of the guest list. It gives me control of what everything and everyone is doing. But in the kingdom of God, that is just simply not our job. It's not my job. And what I've learned is when I try to be the host in God's kingdom, what I'm really saying is, is that I can do God's job better than he can. That I have something better to offer. And in the kingdom, that is simply not our job. Our job as followers of Christ is to be a servant. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is the big part. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. As fathers of Jesus, we are to be like Jesus was, and oftentimes what that looks like is to be a servant. You know, one of my favorite things about Jesus, one of the things I find most interesting about Jesus, is that he never asks us to do anything that he didn't do himself or was willing to do himself. Which I think is very awesome and speaks a lot about the character and nature of not only Jesus, but of God. At the beginning of my message, I stated that in this world, it matters what you have to offer. And the reality is, we do have something to offer this world. And what we have to offer this world is an invitation to the table. That's it. What we have to offer this world as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, is an invitation to the table. But we have to offer the world as an invitation to the kingdom of God. That's awesome. That is a great responsibility. That is an honor. For looking for honor, that's one right there. It is not our job to choose what is offered, to make the guest list, or to choose the seating order, because in the kingdom of God, everyone. I mean, everyone is invited to partake in what God has to offer. I'll close with this, okay? I wish I could tell you that after I was rejected from making the A-team, that I was able to prove the doubters wrong. But if anything, I was, if anything, I proved them right after two consecutive years on the freshman team. So, there goes my football career.
But one thing I will say is after that eighth grade year, after that rejection, that my mindset towards team sports completely changed. It was really no longer about how I could become or how I could be the absolute best player on the team, but it switched and turned more into how could I be the best Jonathan that my team needed. And that changed everything for me. Sometimes I was on the field, but I'll tell you what, most often than not, that was actually off the field, in the locker room. It was in the hallways. It was in conversations. It was in prayer with my teammates. That's what I felt was my place on the team. Not as a 145-pound linebacker. (laughs) (laughs) And when I think about this, it makes me think of the church. That our role isn't how we can outdo each other. It's not about positions. It's not about the positions we can hold, but our role as Christians is to see how we can all fit together. And this is not just here inside the church, how we can be better teachers, how we can be better servants, how we can be better ministry leaders, but this is also outside of the church, where I think a lot of the goodness and the ministry of God happens. And that doesn't just include what's going on in here. That doesn't just include those parts, the people that are a part of this church, but this also includes the people that are not. The last point that I want to make before we wrap up is this, is that fighting for position may get you ahead in the world, but it just does not work in the kingdom of God. And I would go as far to say that it has no place in the kingdom of God. Fighting for a position may get you that job that you've always wanted, and it may get you that car or may get you that life that you've always strived for. But fighting for position has no place in the kingdom of God. John Guerra is a Christian singer-songwriter who writes devotional music. And I love the way that he describes his music. He describes it as such, is his music is less Sunday morning worship and more Monday morning prayer music. And I love it because he finds a way of incorporating worship into the normal, natural rhythms of our day, which I love, which I need. And in one of his songs, called Citizens, he, he has this to say about power and about love, which I find to be quite profound. It says this, okay? Power has several prizes. Handcuffs can come in all sizes. And love has a million disguises, but winning is simply not one. Church, I think there is power in love. But there's a clear distinction. Love is not about power. There is power in love. But love is not about obtaining power. I don't know where you are in life this morning, but I'm just really glad that you're here. I really am. I'm glad that you're sitting here, whether you're joining us here in person or you're with us online. Hey, Mom, we're glad that you're here. And I want you to know this as you, as you leave, as we wrap up, is that not only does this church family love you, but we serve a God who also loves you. And if there's any way that we as a church family can serve you this morning, ask that you come forward and pray with one of our shepherds as we start and wrap up and sing and worship.